Hello everyone and welcome to episode 4 of season 2 of BDI Resources IMG Advisor podcast. Um, if you've made it this far, well done. Congratulations for sticking with us. Um, this one uh, I think is a fairly light-hearted topic, but one that covers some really important um, subjects. Um, and it's all about what to do once you arrive in the UK. So I think lots of people... Uh, kind of very much focus on the journey of getting to the UK. Um, but of course, there's lots of elements of, of it that they maybe don't consider, which are the, the very imminent things that happen once you touch down, once you get off the plane, for example. Um, so we wanted to tell you about a few of those. Um, we're going to take this from the point of basically from a doctor arriving, getting off the plane and what they need to do from that point onwards to things like accommodation, um, arranging their flights and travel uh, to wherever it is they're working, collecting the BRP, bank accounts, setting up direct debits, mobile phones, national insurance numbers, uh, uh, registering with GPs, utility bills, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm joined as always with Ryan. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Um, do you want to kick us off with uh, a bit about the kind of arrival process, maybe transfers and accommodation? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, obviously, from the point of you should at this stage be have a fixed date for arriving in the UK. Um, uh, and it's all about, really, the, the logistics, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, booking a flight. Um, so, uh, obviously, the UK has a lot of airports, mm-hmm. um, but not... Um, I, I, I guess in terms of it's got a lot of regional airports. The kind of main international airports are going to be Glasgow, Manchester, mm. Birmingham, uh, Gatwick, Heathrow. That tends to be the, the yeah. usual points of entry. Uh, so that's really important to know uh, if you're... In t- uh, so if, for example, you're flying into uh, to start a job at Penning Acute mm. uh, Trust, then Manchester's going to be your nearest airport. Yeah. You, you don't want to be logging all your luggage from uh, from, yeah. from Heathrow all the way up to Manchester. So, uh, so do the research into what's going to be the nearest international airport to you and your final destination in terms mm-hmm. of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Again, lots and lots of. I mean, nowadays um, with the uh, with the internet, <laughs> uh, it's it's fairly easy to book flights. I mean, whenever I'm going on holiday or anything, I just quickly look on Skyscanner or one of these price comparison yeah. uh, um, websites and, and usually you get fairly good deals. Um, again, the important thing with flights is that obviously the, the more uh, you book in advance, the less expensive it's going to be. I think think about the time that you're arriving as well, because if you're planning on staying in hospital accommodation, I know we'll probably come on to talk about that, but mm. consider that the accommodation office might not be open at certain times of the day. So if your flight's arriving in the middle of the night, you may find it more of a struggle to get settled in. Or even if you're arriving and staying in a hotel or an Airbnb, think about that. It may be better to arrive if you can in the morning or the afternoon. So you yeah, can... and I think that's the another really, really important thing is is make sure the accommodation is is sorted before you arrive. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so I, I think that actually worthwhile expanding upon the accommodation um, situation, if you like. Yeah. Uh, if you're coming on your own um, with no dependents uh, at all, then it should be possible to get hospital accommodation. Um, it's usually something, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where the NHS really, really struggles, and it's probably different to if you're coming from a place like Saudi, for example, where they have these big, huge, purpose-built blocks of accommodation. Yeah. Um, that's not the case in the NHS. Um, the NHS 
it's actually sold off a lot of its accommodation land um, in in the past probably 10, 20 years um, simply because the accommodation blocks were pretty poor, let's be honest. They're kind of Victorian era type accommodation. Yeah. Um, so the the num or the level of accommodation that hospitals could once provide is significantly shrunk. Um, so if you're coming with your family um, then the likelihood of getting family accommodation within any NHS trust is pretty slim, slim to none. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess you've got to look at what other options are available to you. Some doctors want to come on their own to start with. Yeah. Maybe do two, three months, get settled into NHS, and then look at private uh, accommodation. Once they've got that, they bring the family over. Of course, some doctors want to bring all, all the family at the same time. Um, so your options really are going to be slightly more limited with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but our advice would be is is look at some real temporary accommodation. So yeah. local bed and breakfast, uh, Airbnb is really really good. Um, yeah, very good. Obviously, with that you can get something that you know you've got your own kitchen and a, uh, maybe a whole apartment yeah. or a whole place to to stay for a week or two. Treat it as short term. Um, I think a lot of doctors think that they'll maybe be able to arrange their long term living accommodation before they arrive in the UK, and actually. <laughs> It's it's a bit of a difficult situation because uh, letting agencies and estate agents in the UK um, make it necessary that you go and see properties in person before you can sign tenancies. Um, and you also usually need a UK bank account. You need to have your BRP to show the estate agent um, before you can sign a tenancy agreement. So it's usually not possible to arrange a long-term accommodation before you arrive in the country. So as Ryan said, I think that's why a lot of doctors choose to maybe fly over on their own before bringing their wife, their husband, their children um, a, a few weeks or a few months later once they've stayed in the short-term uh, hospital accommodation, the Airbnb, the bed and breakfast, whatever it might be, um, for a couple of weeks, signed their tenancy agreement and found sourced their, uh, their longer-term option. Um, those longer term options uh, again um, the internet is obviously a great starting place to search for them uh, there's a couple of websites in the UK Right Move uh, is a very good one and Zoopla uh, another very good one and most um, most accommodation is advertised on those uh, websites so you can put in the region or you can put in the postcode of your hospital and it will bring up stuff within a 5 mile or 10 mile radius or however far you're willing to travel uh, and you'll usually have lots of options to choose from. Phone up the estate agents. There will be um, other options on there that aren't necessarily online just yet. They've maybe not got the pictures ready and things like that, but they'll be coming available and they'll give you all the options. And I think that's that's really important as well, that the ex to set your expectations when you first arrive in the UK. The, the fact is that you, you, if you're flying in on a Saturday, you're not going to be starting work on Monday. Um, yeah. that there, there are a few things a few hurdles to get past before you're cleared to actually work mm. but utilize that time plan that time in because that first yeah. two weeks is really about getting all this stuff uh, done which is really time consuming i think as well that that first two weeks in the country it, it can be some of the most lonely time i don't know if you've experienced this with dot city place ryan but certainly for me when doctors arrive in the country, I think there's a, a real bit of excitement and it can feel like a bit of a, um, a sort of false start, really, because, of course, it's a couple of weeks before you actually get started in your job. You're sat around. You don't really have too much to do day to day, barring these appointments and little bits and pieces that you need to do online administratively and things like that. 
And actually having that in your mind, just knowing mentally being prepared that it is going to feel like quite a long couple of weeks before you actually start your job and before you've got your accommodation arranged and things like that. Keep visualizing the end goal, which will be, of course, you'll be living somewhere lovely with all of your family here, um, settled into your job and all that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, those first couple of weeks can be quite daunting. Um, Okay, that probably covers off accommodation, I would say. I think that's one of the things that definitely... The short-term bit, arrange it as far in advance as you can. Don't leave until the week before you're arriving because prices will be higher, particularly for Airbnb and for, for things like that. So book it as far in advance as you can. The long-term stuff, have a plan. Be ready to, to start that search when you arrive so you can do your online searches. You could have made contact with your estate agents before you touch down in the country to have appointments and viewings booked for the week that you arrive. Um. I think the next point is probably registering uh, with the local police office. So uh, as part of the um, the visa process, the BRP process, um, it's necessary once you arrive in the UK just to head along to the, the local police station uh, and they do a quick identity check with you, take down your, I think they take your fingerprints and things like that, don't they? Just to add you onto the kind of national database um, and that kind of thing. Nothing to be concerned with. It doesn't take too long, but again you do need to source a time. I think if I think some um, police stations, you can do it online now, but others you need to phone them up and book in a time that you can go and uh, go and see them. Um, collecting your BRP obviously comes hand in hand with that. We talked about it in the last episode of the podcast. Um, you'll be given a post office locally to your hospital or the address that you put down on your visa application form um, where you need to go and collect your biometric resident permit. Um, do that as early as possible. Make sure you've got it. Because again, you won't be able to do things like opening a bank account without it. You're probably not going to be able to start your job without it. A lot of hospitals insist that you've got it before you, you actually start. You're not going to be able to book your long-term accommodation without it either. So make that a priority, um, number one on the list, if anything. Um, so yeah, that's probably the the next couple of ones. Yeah, uh, again, really, really important one is, is opening a UK bank account. And yes. I know this has been quite troublesome in the past yeah. uh, really do the research into the banks some banks are, are pretty open uh, to uh, international doctors yeah. um, and uh, whereas some banks um, are, are far more problematic you have to bring far more evidence to satisfy um, mm. their standards in order to open a bank account I think we probably mentioned uh, I think it was a blog article recently yeah. there's a list of banks that um, yeah. that, that we know are, are fairly straightforward for ING's to open bank accounts mm. with um, and Monzo I think is the, the yeah so that, the online banking yeah. is, is made it a little bit easier I think so if you go to the high street banks um then you usually ask for a kind of set list of things that you need to bring with you. Your passport, which of course you might have, you may need to collect your BRP though, so that slows you down a little bit. Um, you need to take a proof of address, which you might not have because you might not have settled into accommodation. And ironically, you might find it hard to get accommodation because they may insist on you having a UK bank account. So, you know, you can't have one without the other and that, that can be quite frustrating. Um, they sometimes ask for a letter as proof of employment. And of course, you haven't started your job yet. So whilst your HR department might be happy to write you a letter saying, yes, this person's starting in a couple of weeks on this role, on this contract, that kind of thing. Um, it doesn't always suffice for banks and they, they can be a bit particular about it. I think they're getting better. 
Um, but one of the more recent revelations for us has been the use of online banks. Um, so Monzo is one that's quite um, prolific in the UK at the moment. Uh, the way that they do it is all via an app and you basically scan one of your personal documents, like a passport, driving license, and then film a video of yourself saying, I hereby say that I am this person, I'm opening a bank account with Monzo and uh, they verify the two against one another to prove your identity. Um, so they can be a little bit easier, a bit more straightforward, and they're just utilizing technology to make sure that, you know, obviously they're secure banking and all that kind of thing, but um, they, they sort of help you when it comes to opening something up a bit more quickly. You're still going to have to wait for your, your bank card to arrive and things like that, and there are slight limitations, I think, on online banks that maybe you'd want, you know, a high street bank might be able to give you more options in terms of credit cards and lending and things like that if, you, if that's what you're after, but certainly um, worth exploring the two options. Uh, again, preparation's really key in that. If you can get the hospital to write you that letter proving that you've got employment, that's going to be amazing. If you've got somewhere, temporary accommodation, if you can stay with a friend or use their address um, to register at, perhaps that's a, a solution for providing proof of address. And obviously, as soon as you collect your BRP, your passport is ready to be able to show the bank. So again, just being prepared. Um, I think once you've got your bank account set up as well, um, most most people in the UK pay things, regular payments via direct debits. Yeah. Um, so just things to consider. Um, uh, mobile phone bills usually paid by direct debit. Yeah. Your rent, if you're uh, renting from a private landlord or, or uh, agency, mm. uh, will be a monthly mm. direct debit that will come out. Gas electricity yeah, um, yeah all, the, all this kind of thing but it's actually quite a good way um instead of getting lots of bills dropped through your, your letterbox that you have to then pay yeah it's good for budgeting i think is the important thing because you know that these are the payments that are coming up your bank account each and every month yeah uh, so it should give you a good idea of what your total expenditure is each month so you, yeah. you can can budget uh, properly the other good thing with that as well is that you're building up your your kind of credit rating, your credit score. So for a lot of things that you you get in the UK, um, mobile phones require or mobile phone contracts require a credit check, um, as do uh, car leases and things like there, that. As there well, was so. one. Uh, funnily enough, um, I, I know there is one company in the UK now that does um, mobile phones without a credit check. Okay. I heard it advertised yesterday, yeah. so we might have to look into that. And yeah, uh, we'll get. I mean, these things are always changing. We'll get these things posted yeah. when they when they when we're sure on them. But yeah, the um, certainly for a lot of them, the, this, the credit checks uh, have to be done. And for those credit checks, you usually need to provide proof of your address. And of course, providing proof of your address means that you've got to have um, accounts for things. So once you've set up your your gas and electricity and your broadband and all those things. Get them set up on direct debit so that you're building up your credit score. You've got proofs of your address. You're, you're basically building a profile of the fact that you you live in the UK. You are resident here, that kind of thing. So, again, worth doing from from day one, really. Um, National insurance number is really important. Um, probably more important, really, for tax purposes, I'd say that. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure that you get along to the... Uh, I think you have to get that from the local job centre. Is that right? Yeah. So. Um, so you do you, an appointment yeah, you book an appointment to go and see them and they'll give you your national insurance number. And it's important to give that to your HR department, along with your bank account details, of course, so you can be paid into there. But the national insurance number will make sure that you're making the right contributions yeah. as early as possible. A, a lot of IMGs um, get the first pay check and uh, notice that they've been taxed quite a lot. Yeah. This is usually because they aren't on the correct 
tax code, um, which is usually because they don't have a national insurance number. So um, the government automatically deducts it as what's called emergency tax, uh, which is quite high. Yeah. You will get that refunded uh, once yeah. you, you're on the, the, the correct tax code. But again, um, to, to prevent it from happening or to at least... Uh, prevent it from happening multiple times, get the national insurance number as quickly yeah, as you can. Get it done as early as possible, for sure. Um, I suppose other, other things that people need to do, certainly registering with a GP, registering with a dentist. Um, of course, you can walk into an acute hospital uh, and, and be seen at a, you know an emergency department or whatever if, if something went horribly wrong. But the vast majority of um, kind of minor ailments and illnesses are seen at GP level uh, in the UK. So you do need to be registered with a local GP. Um, there can be waiting lists. So it's worth um, kind of sussing that out as early as possible, I suppose. Make sure there's a GP near you that, that can accommodate you. Same with the dentist. I think it's important to note that a lot of dentists uh, in the UK are now private. There's certainly not enough NHS dentists. You may find yourself having to um, to pay for some of the dental care that you that you obtain, uh, general checkups and things like that. It's not overly expensive, but um, yeah, it's just something to note because, of course, if you urgently need some uh, dental work done, uh, you're not going to want to find yourself in a position where you haven't registered and uh, having to wait for an appointment. Um, so that's a, a really, really important one. I think if you, you bring your family, of course, and, and you've got children, yes. schools, really, really important. Yeah. Um, that can all be done in advance and I strongly recommend that, uh, you, that you either, if you're doing it yourself, um, get in touch with the, the schools that you, you are your first choice of schools. Yeah. Um, as early as possible um, because a lot of schools are oversubscribed. Tens, primary schools tend to be not too bad, um, I think, that. but if you're looking at Ofsted ratings and all that type of thing to get into the good schools, um, then yeah. you, you may want to, to do that quite a bit in advance and, and, and just get in contact with them. There are certain forms that you have to fill in, but the school will provide those for you. Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, it's just, it's just organisation really, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's it. I think one of the, probably the key things to do is just make a checklist of all the things you're going to need to do in that first couple of weeks. Um, I think we might have put one up in a blog uh, once before, which mm. we can post the link to. If not, we should definitely make a blog on it, Ryan. Um, uh, the other side of it, I suppose, this is the kind of um, personal life uh, stuff that we've talked about, but but actually, think about the things that you need to do when you arrive at the hospital yeah. as well. Because it's one of the biggest frustrations, isn't it, Dan, that, that we, we've seen, particularly where, where yeah. a doctor has, has gone to the UK, done all the personal stuff, and, and just sitting, waiting to start work. And the, there's usually, it's very preventable to, to uh, well, prevent those delays from happening. Yeah. But again, it's just being aware of what you need to bring and uh, what appointments you need to book. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, some of the kind of really common ones there, um, one of the first things to do when you arrive in the country, make yourself known to the HR department. Um, they will tell you if there's anything outstanding that's going to prevent you starting your job. So they're going to tell you, um, first and foremost, you're probably going to have to go to the occupational health department well, to make sure. Will. Well, you, <laughs> yes, you, you will. You will have to go to the occupational health department to get a full clearance. Mm. Um, you may have some um blood results that you can you can give to them and they may be able to use those but often international blood results just won't be recognized in the uk mm. so they may want to take a full set of bloods and just start again from and, the beginning and actually you can do this well in advance because yeah. they will have an occupational health uh, questionnaire yeah. that you, you can set when you get your job offer ask them for it yeah 
get it, get it sent. Often send it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So get it, get that sent across, and get an appointment booked in. There's often a wait to get seen by an occupational health doctor or nurse. So um, book it in if you can before you start. I know that for the doctors we place, we try and book it in as close to the day that they're arriving in the country because again, it can take a few days or a week after having the the, the blood test taken to get the test results back. Yeah. So. Um, of course, you want to get that done as early as possible. I think trust inductions. Yes. Um, I think yeah. that's that's really important. Some trusts will have inductions on certain days. Yeah. Uh, and I think again, this work comes down to the pre-planning. Um, make sure, and uh, I would strongly, strongly recommend that that you, you get booked onto a trust induction course. Yeah, the, the, this is just covering things such as uh, orientation of your department, mm. it, it, even things like your, your I, second itself for IT accounts, all those things which are really yeah. important to do your day to day job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some trust will let you start without having a trust induction, but it, it, again, it's. It, it, I mean, it's going to make your job more problematic and, and actually fitting into the system yeah. more difficult. If you yeah. don't know where anything is yeah. and if you don't know uh, the, the kind of basics within the department and you don't have access to your IT systems, it's, mm. it's going to make it a fairly uncomfortable start, I would suggest. Exactly. And I think you touched on another one there um, and that's IT logins and, and IT training and actually with that, any other parts of mandatory training. Mm. So you've probably done a lot of the pre-employment checks before you've arrived in the country. Certainly you're referencing your police clearance checks, the occupational health uh, questionnaire. There'll be lots of registration documents that you'll have already sent across along with your certificates, you know, your GMC registration certificates and all the usual stuff that um, is there as pre-employment checks. But there's certain things that can't be done until you arrive. And that's usually um, you need to actually log on and probably in one of the uh, the hospital's um, training centres uh, you need to log on to the IT systems, change all of your passwords. You're not usually given access to that until you arrive because, of course, you won't have an email address set up and things like that. Um, so get an IT access. Make sure HR will point you in the right direction for that. Sometimes you'll need to go to the IT department to get it. Um, occasionally, you'll need to do other bits of mandatory training before you start. So um there's often uh online courses safeguarding courses life support courses and training things like that that you'll need to complete before you can actually start your job again it won't be anything too difficult nothing too time consuming um but you'd be surprised hr departments aren't there to chase you to do these things um often it, because they are so busy they don't have the time to chase you you may be sitting around thinking well, why haven't i started yet why am i not getting going just communicate with the HR department when you're there and, and they will tell you if there's anything And tell them your plans as well. I think that's where the personal and the professional side of it needs to dovetail quite nicely because yeah. um, if you can go in in the morning, for example, to get your occupational health uh, appointment and then in the afternoon you can go and look at some properties or, or get a, yeah. go into your bank, um, your, your bank appointment or whatever it might be, um, it just makes things a lot easier. Um, mm. But yeah, so I think that's the, the, the biggest point is make a, as you said Dan, make a list of absolutely everything that you need to do yeah. and try and fit that into some form of diary yeah. uh, and, and, uh, and really communication with either your recruitment uh, consultant or with uh, directly with the, the NHS hospital if you applied directly is really really crucial to make sure that that first couple of weeks isn't because it will be stressful yeah, yeah. but um, it, it, it can it, I mean we, we don't want people to, to be coming to the UK and, and just having a, a terrible time. I think you, you, you want you want to yeah. uh, kind of uh, start the new exciting journey, you know, chapter in your life in the yeah. best possible way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
I think that kind of concludes everything. Uh, obviously, um, BDI Resource are here to help with all of those bits and pieces. So if there's specific questions that anyone's got around any of them, um, please do email them in or, or comment on social media as usual. And if there's anything you think we haven't thought of there that, that maybe has impacted you when you first arrived in the UK, we always love to hear from you. And it's obviously stuff we can we can start to add to our list of, of ways to help her. IMGs when they arrive so yeah we'll um, we'll look forward to hearing from you on those um, thanks as always uh, for listening um, tune in next time final episode of the series uh, we're going to do a myth buster Excellent. on um, some of the topics that uh, international doctors or some of the misconceptions it's, it's north v south north versus south is one of them um, me and you both being from the north uh, yeah that'd be quite a good one but yeah. not both living in the south that's true <laughs> yeah so that'll be a really interesting one hopefully you'll tune in next time thanks so much for listening thanks so much bye bye, bye.